to Community Christian Anywhere. We are an online community of people who believe that even though life can be difficult and complicated and tiring, Jesus offers a life that is easy, light, and full of rest. And the life Jesus offers isn't simply a membership to a religion or a personal philosophy of life. He offers to transform us into people who live and love just as He did in this world. And so we want to be a community who are committed to loving everyone just as Jesus has loved us. And so no matter who you are or what you believe about God or what you've done, we want you to be a part of this Jesus movement to love everyone always. And what we hope is that throughout our time together, you will experience that God loves you and He cares about your life. In fact, we say this all the time, no matter what you think about God, we believe He can't stop thinking about you. We believe that He is for you and He only has good things for your life. So no matter where you're watching from, on your phone or on your lunch break, hopefully not while you're driving, we believe that God is present with you right now. And if you stay open to that, I believe He wants to make Himself real to you. And if at any point during this video you have questions or maybe you feel like God is speaking to you and you want to speak to somebody about that, there will be a number on the screen the whole time. You can text that number at any point and our speaker for today or someone from our team will respond just as soon as we can. Because even though right now this is just a video you're watching, we hope that your interactions with us move from just being content that you consume to a community that you're committed to. And one easy way to get more involved with our community is by going to our website, cccanywhere.com. There are a lot of resources there, including some materials specifically designed for your children. And the best way for you to get involved with our community is by clicking on the card on that website that says, join our Facebook group. You'll be taken straight to our Community Christian Anywhere group on Facebook, where we can connect with each other during the week. All you have to do is click the Join Group button, and you'll take one quick and easy step into community this week. But for right now, let's get into our main idea for the day. Today, I want to end a conversation we've been having for a few weeks now at Community Christian Anywhere called Christians in the Age of Outrage. So if you're with us for the first time today, let me say how glad I am that you came. But if you don't really get where we're going, it's probably because it's like coming in at the end of the movie. Uh, I'd encourage you to go to our Facebook or YouTube channels and you can find the whole series there. So anyway, we're wrapping this up. And the bottom line of this series is that we just think that when things happen that our whole country's attention's focused and those inter things intersect with what the scripture teaches, we need to talk about that. And even though today's the end of the series, it's not the end of a movement that we hope we're starting in our church. We have some things that we're gonna roll out the rest of this fall and even the first of the next year to keep us focused on this until we can get it right. Because we believe that if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would just do some foundational things that Jesus taught, it would definitely change our interaction with politics in our country. And it might just change our country. And we believe that if it be done in such a way that we're talking about doing it, God would actually get the glory from it. And I know this series has been difficult. And I really do admire all of you who decided to stick it out through it and stay even to today. And today, there are gonna be some challenges as well. But I wanna start with a bit of a story from the life of Jesus. 
Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry and he's on his way to Jerusalem one afternoon. He's followed by his 12 apostles and probably some other people. Jesus knew that this would be the very last time he would go to Jerusalem because once he's there, he's gonna die. And it's important in these last few days that he gets his guys up to speed with what's really going on because up until this point, they've been really popular. And when they enter the city, the crowds are there and people wanna be close to Jesus. And if you couldn't get close to Jesus, next best thing was being close to somebody who was close to Jesus. So these guys, they've had a little bit of a rock star kind of treatment. So Jesus knows he's kind of got to give them a dose of reality. And as they're walking together, he begins to tell them what to expect. And so he says this, uh, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be arrested. I'm gonna be spit upon, I'm gonna be mocked, I'm gonna be tried, and eventually I'm gonna be put to death. But as he's saying this, none of them are listening. So he says it again, and they still aren't paying attention. Finally, James and John, who are two brothers, walk up to Jesus and they kind of push up beside him so everybody can't hear and they say, hey Jesus, listen, uh, sorry about that being spit upon, mocked and crucified, all that stuff, but hey, 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 hey. When you become king, and then they kind of launch into this conversation that makes it really clear, they have not listened at all. Uh, sorry about you being beaten up and everything, that's really tough, but hey, when you become king, when you finally get to your throne, we wanna know, could we sit on your right and left hand? We'd like to know, can we get into positions of power? I mean, it's, it's just the most insensitive thing that you've ever seen in the whole New Testament. Well, the other apostles see that James and John are kind of having this private conversation with Jesus and they just get indignant. They realize that James and John are asking for special privileges and they're like, hey, wait a minute. We've been here just as long as you two guys and that's not fair. And then they break out in this argument over who's gonna to get to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, right after Jesus finished telling them, hey, I'm gonna be arrested, beat, spit upon, mocked and put to death. It's just unbelievable. So Jesus says, okay, okay, time out. And he just puts the whole group in time out, time out now. Okay, we've talked about this before, but let me go over it one more time. You know how the rulers of the Gentiles and the leaders of the Gentiles, when they get power, you know how they lord it over people that they have power over? You know how they cause the people that are under them to serve them and to do whatever they want them to do? And they lord it over them and they rule them? You know how that happens? And they're sitting there going, yeah. That's why we want power, because we wanna do that. That's why we hang out with you, because we think one day you're gonna be the ruling king and we're your guys. And John's going, yeah, I, I wanna be like the number two guy and my brother's number three. And then they get in this big argument again. And Jesus says, wait, 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 listen. You know how it is with the Gentile rulers and the pagan rulers, how they lord it over everybody when they get into positions of power and they're entitled to all the attention and position and the disciples are right? Yeah, he says, well, not so with you. It's fine if you want to be great. He says, it's okay to want to be in charge. It's okay to want to be a ruler. It's okay to have some authority. But guys, if the day comes when you actually have authority, that you actually have position, that you actually have the opportunity to rule over other people, you know how the Gentiles do it. And you know how the typical ruler and leader does it. Not so with you. I hope one day you can acquire that kind of power. But when you have it, don't you use it like everybody else you've seen use it. So last Sunday, I tried to start a conversation with you about 
racial issues in our country and the church's response. And I said, I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a politician, but I know a lot about being a white church person. So I talked to you about the white church, and at the end, I described white privilege. And I said, for those of us who are white, asking us what it feels like to be privileged is like asking a fish to describe water. It just is. We don't know what it's like without it. And once again, I urge you, if you weren't here, to go back and listen to that, because I just don't have time to go back over all of that. But white people like me, we've had power in this country a long time. So even if you are like a fish in water and you can't feel the water because it's all you know, here's what you do know. We as a group have had power a long time. So here's where I wanna spend a few moments with us thinking Christians. How do you think Jesus would tell his followers who've been in positions of power for a long time to use their power? What's the example of using power and influence, power and what should we do with it? What do we do with that privilege that we have? I want you to have some time to think about that. And if you have an answer, I'd love if you text me at the number on the screen. If you have questions, text me. I'll be back in just a minute. As we pray together, read the words aloud and bold with me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see ourselves and others clearly. Give us eyes to see the experience and suffering of others. Give us your servant heart of humility. Make us aware of how we have failed to live up to these words of Scripture. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, Invite your Heavenly Father to reveal to you the ways in which you have failed to see the suffering of others. Though it may be uncomfortable, ask Him to show you how you have put your own interests ahead of the interests of those less privileged than you. Let's continue to pray. King Jesus, though you have all power and authority, you were the servant of all people. You denied your own privilege to look to the interest of each of us. May our lives follow your example. Now, sit in silence before your Heavenly Father. As you think about the words white privilege, what emotions rise within you? Is there any fear or frustration, defensiveness within you? Would you acknowledge those feelings before God right now, knowing that He already knows everything you feel? Now, let us close with a commitment to follow the example of our King who became the servant of all by reading these famous words of Scripture together. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though He was God, 
he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. King Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to humble yourself by giving up your privilege to serve us, even to the cost of your own life. May we follow your example in all things by living and serving in your name. Amen. Imagine what Jesus would have someone do if they were in a privileged position. What, what would he do? And the New Testament tells us, and I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, what you're about to talk, we're about to talk about is really huge. And if you're not a Christian, well, you get to pick and choose what parts of this message you like. But if you're a Christian, Jesus could not have been any clearer. See, privilege is a funny thing. If you've ever been without it and you get it, you feel thankful for it. Like if you've ever been given a privilege and someone gave you this privilege, you feel so thankful you got it. But the longer you have it, what happens is we move from being thankful for it to feeling entitled to it. I think Jesus would come to his followers and he'd say, hey, I don't think the right question is, what's everybody entitled to? The right question is, what will you do with what you're entitled to? Or in our conversation, I know since you have this privilege and power and you've had it for so long, it feels like you're entitled to it and other people say you aren't entitled to it. But that's not the question my followers should spend any time on. The real question for my followers, what we need to deal with is, what are you gonna do with this privilege that you have that if others had it, they'd be thankful for it, but you just feel entitled to it. What are you gonna do with it? Now, Christians, if we could get this right, it would change the country. If just the Christians would get this right in our country, listen to me, it would change the reputation of the church in this nation. If we could get this right, it would bring the church out of the margins of society. It'd put us front and center once again. And if we could get this right, it'd be extraordinary. This is just basic Christian teaching. And it's what Jesus, he modeled this. Because everybody wants to know, are you on the left side or the right side? And Jesus would say, hey, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. You're both wrong. I don't care what you think you're entitled to. The question is, what are you gonna do with what you're so sure you're entitled to? And if you answer that question correctly, the world begins to change. It's why the first century Christians who had nothing within 300 years, they toppled the Roman Empire, not with an army, but through their understanding of this principle we're gonna discuss. Jesus modeled this in the most extreme way. It's just hours before Jesus is gonna be arrested. Uh, the guys get to Jerusalem, he's gotten them all settled down. They're gonna celebrate the last Passover together. And in this meal, in this time together, this extraordinary thing happens. Unfortunately for you and me, I can't even exaggerate the emotion that they would have felt in that room that night when it happened. But let me tell you the story and let's just see if we can capture some of that together. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. So he knows he's gonna die. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now that's all kind of a setup for this next section. 
The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So one of Jesus' own guys, they're gonna actively play a part in his death. That is already in emotion. And then John pins these two words, Jesus knew. It's as if John's telling us that in some new way it dawns on Jesus that, I mean, maybe he had an epiphany or possibly something he already knew, it just came to the surface. Or somehow, and then being in that room at that moment, he became more aware of what he already was aware of. John wants us to know that there was something happening during this meal. And as Jesus looked around the room and those guys, those disciples, it dawned him. Fathers put all things, all things, the Father's put all things under my power. Everything's under Jesus' authority. Your translation may read that he'd come from God and he's returning to God. Now, this is amazing. Jesus is not only the most powerful person in that room, he's the most powerful person in that city. He's not only the most powerful person in that city, he's the most powerful person in their nation. He's the most powerful person in the world. He's all of a sudden aware of the fact that he's got power over everything. And with power comes privilege. So what do you do? What do you do when it dawns on you that God's given you all power and right down the street is a group of people and they're plotting your execution? What do you do when it dawns on you that you're the most powerful person in the room, in the city, in the country, on the planet, and you know that the man who betrayed you is about to slip out the back door or possibly by this time of the meal, he's already moving down the street and he's gonna sell you out for 30 pieces of silver. What's your next move? What's your next move when you realize you've been privileged with all this power? And then the turning point word. And it's so small, but it's so powerful. It's the word, so. This little word, so. It's the hinge. It's the hinge between this dawning on Jesus, this moment when Jesus realizes in a way that maybe he didn't realize before, and what he does next. It's that hinge between what he realized and what he does next. Look, look at what he does next. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, at that moment, there's so many emotions in this room because they realized what he's about to do. You don't totally get it, but... He's gone from being a rabbi to a servant simply by taking off his robe and tying a towel around his neck and his waist. Some, some of the men in that room thought, oh, I should have done that. Some of the people in that room thought, well, I should have planned for that. Some of the people in that room thought, we should have at least hired somebody to do this. At least one man in that room we know thought, there is no way I'm letting him do what it looks like he's about to do. Do you know what your Savior did in that moment when he was most aware that he had been privileged to all the power and all the authority? He took on the form of a servant and he served them all in a way that he did not have to do, including the one who would betray him. Let me show you what happens. When he finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and he returned to his place. Now, we don't get all of this, but by taking off his robe, he's giving up his place as a rabbi and he's becoming a servant. And when he puts it back on, he is back in teaching mode. And he sits down and I'm telling you, it is silent in that room. Nobody's eating, nobody's saying a word. And then he asks this question. Do you understand what I've done for you? And no one answers because 
they knew they'd be wrong. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. These positions of privilege. You call me teacher. That's what you ought to call me. You call me Lord. And I've never once said to you, oh, no, no, no. You call me teacher and Lord rightly. For that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I set you an example. And at any moment, any place, any time when it dawns on you that you've been privileged, I've set you an example. And if you ever wonder what you should do with your privilege of time, your privilege of money, your privilege of influence, your privilege of power, your privilege of race, what should I do? What, What should you do? I've set you an example. You should do what I've done for you. Christians, these are our marching orders. He could not have made it clearer for the men in that room or for us today. The question is not, are you privileged? It's, what will you do with what you have? Jesus says, I I set you an example. I went beyond teaching. I set you an example. You look for a way to leverage what you're entitled to for the sake of those who are less privileged. What should white Christians do in the age of outrage? What should be the reputation of the church in our community and in the world? When people think of the church, they should think, you know, I don't believe what they believe, but I'm glad they're in our country. Not because they vote right or they support everything politically that I do. I mean, I don't even buy all the Jesus stuff, but I hope my daughter marries one of them. I hope my son marries one. I wanna hire one of them. I wanna work for one. I don't necessarily embrace all their their theology, but I'm telling you what, the more you give them, the more power, the more money, the more position, the more authority, the more they give back, they invest back, not for their own sake, not for their family, not just their community. They give back for the benefit of all. There's nothing better than a privileged Christian because they use their privilege to our advantage. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you may have never thought of it this way, but every week when we take communion, we should be reminded of laying down privilege and status. No one earns their way to taking communion. It's provided for us by what Jesus did. He didn't have his life taken from him. He freely laid it down. He who had privilege gave it up so that we could be made right with God. So everyone's the same at the communion table. The veteran follower of Christ who's found freedom for sin because of God's grace, and the new believer who's found freedom from shame but still struggles with the consequences of their sin, all of us come here through what Jesus gave us. So communion, it is never truly taken. It is always received. So now, on behalf of the one we call Lord and Savior, I extend to all of you the invitation to come to his table. So if you plan to receive communion today from him, please get what you're gonna use as symbols of his body and blood. It can be as simple as a cracker and juice or bread and water. And while you do that, I want you to listen and read the words on the screen and think about the words of this song that remind us that what we receive, it is not deserved. And yet it's been freely given. And then after the song come back, I I have a little more that I need us to think about together.
I'm living in a grace where everything is more than I imagined. Where what is undeserved is freely given. All my regrets and my failures, all of my wrongs have been left at the cross. Now all that remains is a Father's love. Oh Lord, you take me as I am. Over and over you call me yours again. You see it all, still you want me. How you love me, how you love me. Your kindness and mercy remind me how you love me. How you love me as I am. So let us be together, seated at your table in communion. Oh, everyone is equal in your presence. Because where I am from or where I've been, the way that I've lived or the color of skin, Nothing will change how the Father loves me. Lord, you take me as I am. Over and over you call me yours again. You see it all, still you want me. How you love me, how you love me. Your kindness and mercy remind me how you love me, how you love me as I am. All my regrets and my failures, all of my wrongs have been left at the cross. Now all that remains is the Father's love. Oh Lord, you take me as I am. Over and over you call me yours again. You see it all still you how you love me, how you love me. Your kindness and mercy remind me how you love me, how you love me as I am. So how do we use our privilege for the benefit of others? Well, I think in this cultural moment when our whole world is looking at the evil of racism in its face, what I know, I know evil does not like to be drug out into the light. It wants to remain hidden. And so some people say we just have to work on people's individual hearts because it all starts in the heart of people. And that's true, but it doesn't stay there. 
groups of corrupted hearts get together and they form systems that reinforce what corrupted hearts have just been thinking. So in a moment, when we see the evil, privileged people who love Jesus say, we will not allow it to hide anymore. We will drag it into the light and we will do what we've been commanded to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And a part of humble walking for people in privilege is just to see truthfully. So let me try to help us start. We live in a society where a little baby gets born, and if she's a little black baby, she's twice as likely to die in childbirth as if she had white skin. And I know, I know immediately you want to talk about why. And we talked about this weeks ago. It's what our heart, it wants to tell a story. But for today, can we just humbly see that truth? And for those of us on the privileged side of that, see, we know neither baby with white or black skin did anything to deserve their fate. So can those of us who follow the one who said, love everyone, admit that maybe that's a place that justice could start and that we collectively could just say, no more. It's also true that in our culture, that if a baby's born with black or brown skin, he's less likely to graduate from high school. She's less likely to go to college and he's more likely to end up in prison. And we know that at birth. And in our current season, they're more likely to suffer from COVID. He's less likely to get a good job. She's likely to live poor and die sooner than if she'd been born with white skin due to no issue. Nothing with the little child. Is this a place that people who follow Jesus could use our privilege and say, no more? How, how do we start once we know? Well, we've already started. During this series, we've been asking you to join us in prayer, prayers of openness and prayers of repentance. And I know there are some people who say that prayer is just a Christian cop-out. It's just an excuse to not take action and it's irrelevant. But let me be clear. It's not all we ought to do. It's not all we will do in no way. But prayer is what we're called to do. See, this deal of using our privilege to reconcile and make right what is broken, this, this isn't our mission. This is the Jesus mission. Jesus, who was for our sake, became poor so that we, through his poverty, might have all his riches and be restored to God. We join him in the work that he is doing, reconciling all things to himself through the blood that he shed on the cross. And if we think we can go into this battle on our own, apart from him, we are fooling ourselves. What we're fighting in racism is a force from hell. It's way beyond us. And we need power from above. So you pray. Pray individually, pray in your small groups, pray for our government leaders, pray for protest and march, pray for the leaders of the African-American community and church. Pray that God will be at work in our nation that he will work in and through our church. Pray that God would lead us to a non-white church that would partner with us so we can learn and study together. I've tried to spend um, time this summer before speaking on this to listen to the black people in our congregation who are willing to and courageous enough to share their experiences with me. I've read more than a few books and I've watched documentaries. I want to learn. I want to help us do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God in this.
And I know it's not gonna be easy. I know I personally have so many blind spots and I know there are better people who could have led this church through this. I know that, but I'm the one here. And I know I have to say something and I know I've got to do something and it's gonna get messy. We'll make a lot of mistakes and I know that I'm asking everybody be patient. Don't run from this. Don't leave this conversation. Don't let your politics get in front of your faith. Let's go into this together because we know at the core of the church movement that Jesus launched with this ministry to reconcile humans to God and to each other. So let's do this. You become a prayer. You become a learner. You humble yourself. You embrace the messiness of it all. And I'm convinced that there are things that we can do. And if we will do them, we can begin to be a light that can make the evil of this run. The church can once again be the city on the hill that can't be hidden. And then I wanna give you one challenge. I wanna challenge you that when you're in an environment and you see someone that is other than you, what I mean, they aren't white. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but in most environments, we move toward people that we think are like us. And if you get the idea in mind, you can see it. We, we may smile at the other, but we stay with people like us. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that all those differences, black and white, rich and poor, old and young, all of those don't matter. We know that all of us are made in the image of God. For followers of Jesus, we've been invited into his unshakable kingdom, which is a great privilege. And from that privilege, I want us to be the first person in every situation to walk across the room and begin to bridge that divide. I want us to walk over and to begin to engage with people who aren't like us. And of course, don't go and be weird and say, you know, hey, I noticed you're over there with all the black people together. You go and you say like you'd say to anybody else, hey, my name is, and I've been seeing you around here and I don't think I know your name. You begin down the path to know them because knowing them is the first step to loving them. We are called to love everyone. Now I wanna end by showing you one potential thing that maybe we could wind up doing together. I don't know how we can do it. I don't know if right now in the season of COVID, it can even be done. But we can pray, we can prepare, but I wanted you to see potential. So let me set this up and then show you. A few months back in my learning, I listened to a talk and at the end of it, a pastor named Ephraim Smith talked about next steps that white congregations can take to make a real difference in their community. So let's watch this. Another text that I really lean on to get more specific in this is 2 Corinthians 5. Mm. And, and this call between verses 14 and 21 to um, take on the message and the ministry of reconciliation. So um, Jesus followers need to see that racial reconciliation is a ministry. Uh, right now, racial to, to experience racial reconciliation, it feels so political. It feels yeah. it feels like, oh, so the only way I can be a part of racial reconciliation is I have to jump political parties or I have to stop watching this cable news station or I have to stop reading this. I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't, I don't know. But that's not what's at the core. The, the, the 
reconciliation is a is a ministry it's a it's a calling and you have to take where you are how god has gifted you and wired you and find your place uh on the road to racial reconciliation. Sometimes the ministry of reconciliation and advancing the kingdom is just playing a, a role in closing the racial gaps, the disparities that exist in just one particular area. So I'll give you one example um, is, is I, I talk to a lot of churches that say, well, where do we even begin to get on the road to racial reconciliation of advancing the kingdom in the area of race? Well, I go, Here's one. Uh, there's data that's been presented that shows that if urban, uh, black and brown, public school kids between the, the grades of third grade and fifth grade, if they're at grade level in math and reading, they are very likely to go to college. But if they're below grade level between the third and fifth grade in math and reading, they are very likely to be incarcerated. So I believe that at the majority of churches in America, the adults can read at the third grade level. The adults can do math at the third grade level. So if you go to the nearest under-resourced public elementary school and you start a tutoring program or you start a summer academy and you just make sure that kids are at grade level uh, in, 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 in math and reading, uh, you are dismantling the pipeline to prison. You wow. are opening the gateway to college. You are empowering those that um, have historically been the marginalized and the outcast and are behind because uh, outside of spiritual transformation through mm. Jesus, education is a tremendous key mm. that unlocks the door to empowerment. I mean, I would go, if I had an order of empowerment, I would say, Jesus, <laughs> education, oh. wealth creation, you know, yes. so, so, you know, wealth, so, you know, Jesus, you know, education, wealth creation, that closes gaps. And so getting kids to, to grade level in math and reading by the third grade is going to get, get us down that that road. And so that is a nonpartisan yeah. that, you know what I mean? Uh, it should be low hanging fruit. Now, again, we, we don't have a partner to do that right now. And I don't even know in COVID how we would do it, but it's not going to always be this way. And that should be low hanging fruit for us. A simple way. Another thing that we're going to do is we're going to ask you to enter into learning with us. So over the next few months, we're going to be inviting you to, who are willing to come humbly, not to teach, not to stand up for anything, but to listen and to learn and to join with us. And we aren't going to make this a moment. This is going to be something we're going to get done, even if nobody else is doing it. A few years ago, I began to talk about the plight of the poor. It's been 16 years ago that the first time I talked about that at Community Christian, and then 10 years ago, we started something in our church called Do Something, saying that hey, you can't do everything to solve poverty, but for God's sake, you not only can do something for His sake, you must do something. And every year we sing that same song, Do Something. Well, we're gonna pray and we're gonna learn, and I know we can't do everything to fix this huge 
evil of racism, but we aren't gonna leave this until for God's sake, we do something. Would you pray with me? Thank God for the plan that he had when he created human beings. Let's bow together and pray. God, we're so thankful that you made us in your image, all of us, black, white, brown, every language, tribe, and tongue, and we long for it. And when we see it, we ache that we were one the way you made us. And we are sorry for what we have done to keep us apart. And so now I pray for Community Christian that we would do our part to lead the way, expose this evil of racism in every heart and every life and in the systems of injustice that hold people back in our world. Thank you that you broke all those barriers down, that you came through death and hell for us. Help us to use our privilege of what you've given us for the sake of other people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope today's experience was meaningful for you and that what you take away most of all is that God is for you and that we are too. And if anything today raised questions for you or maybe you felt like God was speaking to you and you wanna to talk to somebody about that, please text the number on the screen right now and someone from our team will get in touch with you. And as always, we want your experience with us to be more than just content you consume, but a community you can be committed to. So please take a moment right now and go to our website, cccanywhere.com, to find out how you can get more connected with us here. There are ways to get involved in virtual small groups to discuss what you're learning here, and there's even resources for your children. But the best way to get involved with our community is by clicking on the card on that website that says, join our Facebook group. That link will take you straight to the Community Christian Anywhere group on Facebook, where you can click the join group button and you'll just take one easy step into getting more involved in our community here. I hope to see you there. And as you leave today, please carry this thought with you. No matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you.